Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Amen. Please be taking a seat. So, folks, uh, my name's Mike Mills. I have the uh, privilege of uh, being one of the pastors here. If you've joined us since uh, Christmas morning, you wouldn't have seen me because I've just returned from uh, a few weeks' leave, which has been a lot of fun. Um, But... uh, It's interesting, isn't it? We begin a year and we make all these kinds of resolutions. And I wonder what uh, if you've made any or not. Uh, I must admit I am not a great fan of New Year's resolutions. But there is this sense where the turning of a new year causes us to reflect in some way or another. Um, I uh, was just thinking about the line of the song we just sang, which says, I will build my life upon your love. Makes me wonder what we are building our lives on. There's, a, there's an ad around at the moment that says, uh, you know, this is the way to live your best life. Believe it or not, it's for an SUV. Are you building your life on the things that we might own or the experiences we might have or the Uh, the drives or the the gains or uh, progress in work and success? Are you building your life on family? You can build your life on good things, but are you building your life upon God's love and in response to his love? I mean, how's your life going at the beginning of the year? As you set out into 2023, what do you think of? Do you, do you set out with great hopes and aspirations or do you set out thinking, oh, flop, here we go again, back on the treadmill, back in the office, back into the routine? Are you content with life? After all, what is life? The, uh, the Britannica... Uh, group define life like this. Life is any system capable of performing functions such as eating, metabolizing, excreting is in there, breathing, moving, growing, reproducing and responding to external stimuli. Sounds exciting. There's something about this technical definition that lacks heart, uh, lacks emotion, lacks vitality, doesn't it? Do you want to live this kind of life and just be known that you're doing those things through life? Surely there is more. And as human beings, we have this innate drive to find more in life, to find life that is fulfilling, to find life that has reason and purpose. Life is so much more complex for us than this kind of technical definition. Well, this last few weeks, as Dan has said, and by the way, he's already left the room. Um, 
uh, it's great that he's going to go down there, um, and I don't take it personally that he's left. But the um, the interesting, uh, what I do want to say is Dan doesn't know what I'm preaching. We knows the topic, but not the content of my preaching. And I was uh, amazed as we had that worship bracket, and God and Dan responded to God with some stuff, and he's pinched half my sermon. Uh, so I, I think actually God's really going to be trying to drive some stuff home this morning through that. I don't, I don't feel ripped off by that, um, but I do think it, that's wonderful. You know, God's working in the whole team. Um, it's not just through me. These last few weeks, we've been unpacking one of Jesus' most rich claims about his identity. When we unpack this, this verse, it, it tells us so much. It's an expansive description of who Jesus is and fills us with vision of this man. And it's a, a, a phrase that he uses that's found in John's account of his life in John chapter 14. But before we read it, let me put it in its context. You see, the setting is actually the Last Supper, as is traditionally known in the Christian church. For Jesus and his disciples, it was the annual ritual of celebrating the traditional Jewish Passover celebration. And during the meal, Jesus gets up and he washes his his disciples' feet in this powerful and significant example of servanthood. And and then he forecasts his betrayal. And his betrayer, who is one who is in the room, leaves the room, Judas. And, And he goes on and he speaks of leaving these disciples, these people he's journeyed with, lived every moment of life with for three years, and he says, I'm, I'm leaving you, and where I'm going, you can't come. And he goes on to predict that even Peter, one of his closest mates, will let him down. And it's at this point that Jesus speaks comfort and encouragement to the remaining 11 disciples. So let's pick it up in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I not come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am? You know the way to the place where I'm going. At this point, dear old Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answers him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. May God bless his word to us this morning. Our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day theme for 2022 was hope. The thrill of hope was the title. 
And it was about the importance of hope to human well-being and flourishing. Hope matters to us as human beings. And we saw how Christmas makes the world better, partly because it is the beginning of the realisation of hope. And here, once again, Jesus is the bringer of hope. He speaks hope. He reveals hope. And he gives hope to his disciples. On the brink of his betrayal, his torture, his corrupt trial and his unjustified death sentence, Jesus points those closest to him to a greater reality, the hope of life in and with God the Father. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Now, two weeks ago, Jacob unpacked the understanding of the way, and he pointed to the Greek word hodos, which can be translated way, journey, path. And he invited us into this journey of knowing and living with God as our Father, living the way of Jesus. And last week, Esther spoke about the nature of truth, Absolute truth versus relative truth. And hasn't our world in recent years corrupted the meaning of truth? The word truth. Jesus is not saying, said Esther, I am a possible way, a relative truth and an option to life. Rather, he says, in a definitive way, not a relative way, in an authoritative, ultimate truth way. He is the way, the truth, the life. I'm on to acknowledge that uh, there's, there's an uncomfortable exclusivity around these words. You see, in our day and age, in our Western culture, uh, which is liberal and multi-this and multi-that, uh, to be so exclusive and, and dogmatic in a statement uh, feels awkward and uncomfortable. However, there's no escaping it. Somehow, in some way, relationship with God as our Father is inextricably and exclusively linked to this man, Jesus, from Galilee in an area we know as modern-day Israel. So, folks, he goes on to say, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and see him. The way to God the Father is to know Jesus. The way to see God is to see Jesus. So don't be ashamed of the awkwardness of the exclusivity of Jesus' statement. Rather, embrace it. And don't try to neatly explain it. Rest in the mystery of this. Somehow Jesus matters, is central is supreme, 
is vital in knowing God as Father. So today we come to the third aspect of this statement of identity. I am the life. And Jesus has said this before. He says it back in John chapter 11 after the death of Lazarus, who was the brother to Mary and Martha. After Lazarus had been in the tomb four days, he was well and truly dead, as if you can be more dead. After he'd been in the tomb four days, Jesus arrives. And he says to those present, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in a miraculous way, he presents a sign that demonstrates this. He raises Lazarus from the dead to life. And he gives him back alive to his sisters. I am the life. We shouldn't be surprised at that. We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus would be the life. After all, as Dan read from Colossians, he is the source and the sustainer of all life. Paul puts it this way, for in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers or authorities. You get the impression he's trying to tease out absolutely everything. And then he says it, all things have been created through Jesus and for him. He is before all things and, he's, and in him all things hold together. I remember years ago sitting in a sermon in here and uh, it was Peter Eaton at the time talked about this verse and he said, uh, he got us all to stand up and then he said, now, if Jesus wasn't holding all things together, A, you wouldn't be able to stand, B, you wouldn't be able to sit down because everything would fall to pieces. That is the intent of what Paul is writing here. Literally, he holds all things together. So anything that is, is held together by Jesus. Now, we know the molecular kind of basis for all of that, but it is Jesus who is the source of it all. So again, here is this, Man, Jesus, saying, I am the life. But what is this life? What is this life that Jesus says he is? What is this life like? I want to take us even further back in John's account of his life to chapter 10. And here Jesus is teaching. And he's teaching using the imagery of sheep, shepherds, sheep pens and pastures. He's in the countryside, there's sheep there, he grabs the illustration and he uses this. And there are two more of these I am sayings, these identity sayings, these things which link right the way back to uh, Exodus and the burning bush and God saying, I am who I am. It's an identity with God. And he says, I am the gate. A similar analogy to I am the way and I am the good shepherd. And in between these two I am sayings 
In verse 10, he says this. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. If you know me, you know this is one of my favourite verses. The word life here is Zoe. And our daughter's name was given uh, as Zoe out of these verses. This this concept of Jesus being the bringer of life is a theme that runs all the way through John's Gospel. It's consistent all the time that he is the source, he is the giver, and he is the, the demonstrator, he is the enabler, he is all that is necessary and vital for life. Full life. Abundant life, not just surviving, not just existing in the technical description of life, but truly living life and life to its fullest. Life that reflects the generosity and the lavishness of God. Life that is not cramped or limiting, but life that is truly freeing and overflowing. This, folks, doesn't just speak about the the richness and completeness and wholeness of life that is to come, what we might call eternal life. This is always spoken of by Jesus as real in the now. He brings it now. It is equally about the life of the present, the here, the now, this very moment. When you think of the this sense of abundant life, how sad it is that the Christian church has this wowzer reputation and life is determined and seen as being uh, do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. Can't do this, don't go there, avoid this. Where's the fullness in that negative kind of description? Rather, it should be demonstrated as a life of abundance. An exuberant life, a joy-filled life, a love-fueled, a hope-fueled life, and a love-empowered life. This is the life that God brings through Jesus. This is the life that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's enabled by the presence and the power of the Spirit of God in us. How's your fullness of life looking as we head into this year. Sure, there are difficulties, there are troubles for all of us. doesn't matter how good a faithful, a uh, disciplined follower of Jesus you are. It's a part of life. Struggle and difficulty is a part of living in a world that is yet to be fully reconciled to God. But the abundant life that comes from living the way of Jesus far outweighs circumstance. I've sat with enough people who have lived through to the end of their life and have had incredible trauma throughout their life and yet continue to live and to die with a joy because of the abundance of the life of God. To know that this is not just a platitude. This abundance of life 
can supersede circumstances because it's a life founded on and in the absolute truth of Jesus. It's a truth that is not determined by circumstance or emotional response. It's an unshakable, unchanging, eternal truth. That is the truth of Jesus. I wonder this morning, do you know this kind of life and assurance and hope? Are you living this kind of life? Can I encourage you to reflect on the words of Jesus? I am the way, the truth, and the life. If this is true, how does it impact you? It means that if we want more of life, we need to lean into Jesus. We need to spend time with him. We need to prioritise him. We need to step out in, uh, in faith away from the fast-pacedness of life and give him time. We need to perhaps revisit the Sabbath series from last year and, and re-engage and, and, and grow in some of those Sabbath practices. We need to give Jesus room, folks. Now, it's easy for me to say that from the pulpit. But I wonder what kind of immediate response comes to you. I was working on this sermon during this week and I, was, I hadn't finished it yet, but I'd sort of speaking this out aloud as I do in my preparation and and I got to this point and I came to a grinding halt. I wonder what your immediate response is. Life's too full. It's not as easy as that. It's, it's more complex than that. I'm, I'm so busy. There's family. There's work. There's demands. There's commitments. There's obligations. There's the ongoing list And I got stalled at that point. And confession time from me, I felt like I heard, you know, the, the prompting of the Spirit some, sometimes, not, not how often, but it was like, Mike, the choice is yours. Thanks. I don't know what your immediate response this morning is, but I suspect there are things in that list that you would recognise. Well, sorry. The choice is yours. Which life are you going to let shape you? Jesus? Or the one that you are so frantically embroiled in? What or who will you give yourself to? Let's pause for a moment. You might like to just close your eyes and reflect for a minute. Acknowledge what your first response has been. If there's any objections 
or stumbling blocks. Name them before God. Father, we read words about abundance and fullness and, and freedom and vitality and, and it is attractive. And part of us wants more of it, even if we're in a relatively good place. We want more of it. We, we want to be immersed in that. We want to live it in a way that honours you and, and speaks volumes to the world around us. But then there's those other voices, those other things that pop up. God, we can feel so powerless sometimes to move beyond them. So right now, this morning, we want to acknowledge this before you. And we want to lean into you even more. And our simple prayer is, God, where we're weak, you be strong. Where we find it hard, you, Lord, make the way. Where we find ourselves feeling as though we are captured by something we can't get off, we can't escape, we can't run from, Lord, you break what needs to be broken. And Father, help us all to live more in the abundance of life that you give us. Amen. We sang that song, that wonderful old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. The vision is what you put in front of you first and foremost. Can we pray that prayer that Jesus would be our vision? Not just our sustainer, not, not just our source, but the shaper of all our decisions, our priorities, our energies, our generosity, our giving, what we hold on to, our relationships, you get it, everything. You see, true human life is only found in a life lived in relationship with God the Father. Does it seem unrealistic? Does it seem unattainable? Well, I want to tell you, God is in the business of making it possible. John, in his later writings, makes this statement in 1 John 3.1. Again, a favourite verse of mine. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, for that is who we are. God's work, not ours. Uh, during my time off, I, I don't know, you might not have heard the story, but uh, um, last year we added to our family, we got a, a little puppy, uh, Skye. Uh, she's a, for the dog people, she's a Kelpie, Springer Spaniel Cross. She looks a little bit like a thin border collie. Um, and, uh, and, and she has been uh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, I reckon I'd take a bullet for her. But I also sometimes want to kick her from here to kingdom come. She's needed, I've needed to rewire my trailer twice. I've now fenced it off. She's dug up all my irrigation and loves chewing the end bits. Um, she's got into everything. And she's now 11 months old. And during those three weeks off, there was a few 
things which actually taught me lessons. I'd come out the back door and instead of a welcome, the tail would disappear between her legs and she'd run to the other end of the yard. And I know, she knows, she's done something she shouldn't have. And I'd go looking to find what it was. And I'd be furious because she's done it again. You know, this, uh, and, then, and then that evening she's on the couch with us and she's just adorable and I dote on her and, you know, it's like it never happened. And I realised this is actually an illustration, probably a poor one, but it's an illustration of God's love for me. Because, you know, I do the wrong thing. I don't have a tail, but there are times when I could well tuck my tail away because I'm ashamed. I know I've done wrong. The lead up to that, I don't know why I can't not know ahead of time not to do it. And, I'm, you know, I'm expecting wrath and what happens. God lavishes love on me. My love of my dog is nothing. Nothing compared to God's love for us. He makes a way for us to enter into fullness of life and he keeps cajoling, disciplining, loving, extending forgiveness and mercy and pointing out things so that we would keep learning more and more of what it means to be set free from those things that hold us back from the fullness of God's love and living in his life. God is always and always has been in this business of expressing his love in reconciling relationships. Jesus was the one who said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he went on and he laid down his life to make it possible and to make it true. Again, Paul in Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things here on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here is a glimpse of this, inextric- uh, um, this exclusiveness and the inextricable. Uh, in- I'll use, try and find another word, I think. This uh, connection between Jesus and knowing God as Father, that cannot be denied. The two are linked because God has done this through Jesus. He has reconciled us to him. Folks, we can enter, live in and experience abundant life because Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, has made it possible. He has made it possible. This is true for us individually, but what about for us as a faith community? What does is, what is this verse, this proclamation of the identity of Jesus have to do for us? Well, as a church, we partner in the work of God. Dan referred to it this morning. You know, we partner in seeing people come to faith and having lives transformed and going on and being baptised. We partner in what God is doing in creating disciples, of gathering and growing Jesus' followers around us. We cannot do this, folks, 
by adopting anything other than the centrality of Jesus. We cannot do it by adopting consumer-pleasing approaches. We won't achieve anything fruitful by being a commodity or a service-oriented church. Folks, this goes beyond your personal preference or mine on styles and means and mechanisms. It's not about propositional debates. It's not about the latest um, church trends. It is always and only about Jesus. He is the centre of everything. He's the source of everything. He's the sustainer of everything. He is the way, the truth and the life. So we had better know him and we had better live in him and we had better proclaim him. Folks, as we as a community set out into 2023, we mark a new year under a human framework. God, the Father, Son and Spirit remain unbounded by such frameworks. You see, God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow and forever. And so his purpose and his desire remain the same too. To bring about a restored and renewed creation, to reconcile humanity to himself, to see human beings like you and me living abundant life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I close with a quote from Eugene Peterson. Only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth, do we get the Jesus life. So as we, as individuals, as family units, and as a community of faith, go on into the future, let's keep our focus on this man, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, we sit here in wonder this morning at the complexity and yet the simplicity that is contained in this statement of identity. We thank you for the opportunity to unpack it a bit. And Lord, we pray right now that you would take us ever deeper into the reality of this, that we would be able to live in the way of Jesus, that we would be able to uh, understand more of the, the wonder, the depth, the, the, uh, the, the freedom and the grace of the Jesus truth. And because of that, our, our lives would overflow with his life in abundance and vitality. And Father, for each of us, we need you to take us on that hodas, that journey of taking us deeper into the way of Jesus. Some of us have been on that road for years, but you've still got work to do. Some of us are just setting out, figuring out who Jesus is. Boy, haven't they got an adventure ahead of them. In all of this, God, we pray simply that you would find a free hand 
to be at work in us because to the best of our ability, we've got out of the way. So we surrender afresh to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.